We all know that cars mean traffic, errands, and budgets. But they should also represent freedom and fun. Join us as we work to find everyone a car they'll love. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. There is so much to talk about after attending Monterey Weekend, but I've got Chance with me. He's back on the podcast. Welcome, man. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. How's it going? I think the last time you were with me was when we talked about tree smashing cars. A tree had fallen over accidentally in somebody's yard and smashed a car. I think it's been a while. Has that, it been actually. that long? Has yeah. it really been that long? I kind of think it has been, but I'm glad you're with me. Todd is on vacation, a well-deserved vacation, as a matter yeah. of fact. So you and I just got back from Monterey Weekend, and I realize that it seems like that's all that matters in the automotive universe right now. I get that. Yeah. However, I want to position this podcast properly because instead of Topic Tuesday, we're going to discuss Monterey Weekend, but in two sections. The first section, we are going to allow ourselves to tell stories about things we overheard and things we saw and really just soaking up the craziness, the madness, and how, yeah, there's a lot of wealthy people that attend. Yeah, just just a few. <laughs> However, the second part, I do want it to, I want to back off of that and come back to things that stuck out to us as far as hey, this is a concept car or a production car that we can either aspire to or we're looking forward to seeing and driving and reviewing and things that make the cars relatable because it's easy to just talk about you know all the crazy money oh, and that's just so much extraordinary things there and it gets a so little out of hand out of touch it gets obnoxious yeah. as a matter of fact but we went and i liken this show to fashion week honestly like in paris and, you know, you talk about all these colors and styles and fashions and that kind of thing, which actually do trickle down. Hey, I saw The Devil Wears Prada. Even though it's a movie, <laughs> there's probably a bit of truth to that. And I know in the design industry, there's quite a bit of trickle down as far as, you know, here comes, you know, the, the latest colors and styles. Yeah, yeah. You and I were noticing color on various cars. We were. And how it changed your perception, even of the older stuff. But that kind of stuff trickles down eventually to the shirts and dresses and just normal clothes that we can afford, you know, that yeah. normal people can afford, I'll say. It's not just the high-end stuff. Yeah, so many of the old cars that you see at the actual Concours event are black because that's just, that was the color then. Well, Everything yeah. was black, it was cheap, that was the paint. <laughs> All right. But then there's the colors, some of them had, they were white or they were blue or, you know, whatever color they were. A lot of, we saw a lot of greens this year and some yeah, of them we were, were metallic paint from, you know, a hundred years ago almost. And it was like, oh, they actually had that back then. I'm that sure that actual color. cost a million dollars worth <laughs> of paint. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So like I said, we've got some stories to tell that we're just laughable and this was chance the first time and yeah. i'm so glad you went mind-blowing experience I, it, it really is and so i want to tell you about this as far as you know considerations of why you should consider attending someday if you want to go and you know kind of how to do that but you know it's really to learn about cars and i will say just because it is the most expensive hyper unattainable supercar or old car classic car doesn't mean that you and i can't go and learn because you and i saw a ton that we thought wow well that was an elegant simple solution to a handbrake or a yeah. vent opening or a wow that that's a different style and the other reason is because automotive designers are constantly searching for new themes and when they're pushing forward with their own brands they're looking backwards in a sense not to do a retro thing but looking at what was successful in the past they look to nature for a lot of inspiration mm -hmm. but they look at their own cars and think 
you know what, that's, that was successful, but we're pushing this model forward. I need to incorporate some of that style. Polestar is a great example. It's a subsidiary of Volvo. I yeah. saw some P1800 lines in the rear three-quarter yeah, of that yeah, car. Totally. That's exactly what I think of when I see that car. And you think, why, why is that familiar? It's because they're studying the older stuff as they're pushing forward. And again, not in a retro way, but to use, why is that line successful? Why does it yeah, you can, say you that can to your Yeah, you can see where the inspiration comes from. Exactly. It follows its, it's true to its roots without being old school retro looking. Exactly. I, I liken it to reinterpreted themes, I'll say. Yeah. And that's why we go. Of course, there's the madness, which we will start with. And we've got some stories to tell. And I think you and I were <laughs> deciding on how many Chirons and... Koenigseggs that we were going to see because there were McLaren 720s littering the landscape. It seemed oh, like every they, time we turned around... They were almost the Corvette of the weekend. <laughs> and I, I don't mean that in a bad way, but <laughs> well, I was going to say, it's, it's the car that Corvette you, owners everywhere are angry you now. You see Corvettes pretty frequently. They're not you a do. rare car. You but do. At, at Pebble Beach, that's the equivalent of seeing a Corvette because that's the car that... <laughs> You know, everyone had them. It was this this year's car, the end car, I guess. I kept asking Chance if he was jaded yet, especially when we went to the track. <laughs> <laughs> and at some point, you paused, and I went, ha ha. Yeah, paused. I don't remember what I said. Do you remember what I said at all? I don't remember, but, but, but it, it took you a minute to think, wait, no, not quite yet. I but, need to see more. But I do remember being at the track and saying, yeah, this is this is what I do, so this is nothing new to me. The cars are just... 50 True. years older. True. At what actually brings up a side note, and I kept asking you, and I still can't decide, the groups of people that have more money, is it the group at the Quail Lodge? And by the way, the Quail Lodge is a golf course. It, it's a you know country club kind of a thing, and they just happen to hold a show that has become the talk of the town for the last yeah. 15 years or so. It's, it's now the show to go to, in addition to Pebble. But so we refer to it as the Quail, and there, it is the actual lodge. It's a, a destination. Yeah. So the Quail has this show, and it's a mix of old and new. But then there's the Pebble Beach show as well. There's so many others that you and I didn't get to go to. I mean, no, I don't think you can get to all of them. Reunion. There's so many shows to go yeah, to. It's it's really insane. I mean, you could go to none of the stuff we did, go to completely different shows, and still have an incredible weekend of seeing cars. So that brings up this question, and that is, is it these folks that just exhibit cars and they sit on the lawn or that auction and they just appreciate in value, or is it the guys that drive their $1.8 million three, 300SL Gullwing to the track, get out of that, park it next to their race trailer, and jump yeah. in their vintage Formula One car or their yeah, 60s yeah. Le Mans, like a GT40 or something like that, and go racing? Yeah. I, I can't decide, not that it ever needs deciding, of course, but I, I keep asking you and I think, holy cow, on, on one hand, I appreciate the stuff sitting on the lawn. On the other hand, I love seeing the cars in motion and being used what they're for and they're they're still being raced and driven hard and fix it. If it breaks, fix it. Keep it yeah. running. Keep it going. And, you know, both sides of the, of the coin, every car's got its story. It's got its history. Uh, you know, it could be it could have been from a royal family, or it could have been a presidential limousine, or yeah, it could have true. been Nicky Lauda's F1 car, or a car <laughs> that you know it wasn't there, but there's the GT40 that was used for filming Le Mans. 
Yeah. It was it, that car wasn't there, but you know, cars like that where the roof had been chopped off to put cameras in it, and then they put it back on later on to bring it back to being a normal car again, quote unquote normal. <laughs> but you're posting there, about the uh, the 917 parked there, and they were using the corner of the car as a tent tie down. Yeah, they tied down their their race tent to the front right right front wheel of the car just to keep it from blowing away. As you, you know, do, but, but <laughs> the world's most expensive well, tent yeah, stake. Yeah, the most expensive tent stake, exactly. It was hilarious. hilarious. All right, so you've got to tell this story about at Pebble Beach, and I think you saw a young mother with some kids in tow crossing the lawn, and there were, of course, all kinds of cars, but I, I think you have this story to tell that was yeah, so really a lot of fun. It was actually at Quail. Oh, yeah, it, was it was at Quail, okay. Uh, we split up for lunch, and we went to two different, two different places, and while I was walking from... It was across the lawn where a bunch of the old vintage Ferraris were. Okay. And there was a couple of 250 Testarossas parked at, parked right there. And I'm walking past them, and I see this cute young young family, a, little, a young mother. And uh, I don't know, the kid had to have been about two or three years old at most. <laughs> Start them early, right? And very Italian-looking family. And they're walking up past one of the 250 Testarossas. And the mom turns to the kid and goes, say hello to the Ferrari. And then her son just says, hi, Ferrari. And it was just this cutest little thing. And and for all we know, it was their car or a family member's car. Who knows? But, yeah. But it was just the cutest little thing. <laughs> I love stuff like that. And we saw some kids. I mean, there were, of course, the kids that we saw were jumping out of their skin. I'm thinking, yeah. Yeah, get the exhaust in their nose early in life. And, yeah. you know, they're looking at this beautiful sheet metal just like we are. And like I said, it's so easy to become jaded, which is something Todd and I, and I know you're in this camp as well, that we've promised ourselves we never will do. Just because some hot car rolls up and we're going to roll our eyes at it. You know what? I can appreciate a lot of things about it. It's easy to think all kinds of things if you haven't driven it. Yeah. But that's what we want to do next. Of course, we see all these expensive cars. The next step for us is we want to be, get in them and apply the same kind of thinking. Just because it's a 200000 or $20 million car, it might not mean it's the greatest thing of all time for you. No, no. I mean, we hear, you know, we, we love all these vintage cars. And one of the ones we kept looking at was at, uh, I think it was RM Sotheby's. They had a 360 Daytona that was being up for auction. And mm -hmm. right next to it was a LaFerrari. But we kept staring at the Daytona. Yeah. And yeah. one of the, I, in what neither planet one of are us, we ignoring LaFerrari? I know, right? But <laughs> but I, I remember reading one point that so many people, while the car looks phenomenal, everyone says they drive like a pickup truck. They're not that great to drive. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's still a Daytona. It's still a Daytona V12 it, front engine. And they think, you know what? I'd, I'd still probably take that if somebody were to foist that upon me. Yeah. I'd probably do yeah. okay. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. All right, so I think you've got more stories to tell as far as your impressions of the track. You do spend a lot of time you know, doing photography at the track, and yeah. I, I know that. But just I, I think your impressions of track day when we got there to Laguna Seca on Saturday morning, and we spent, I think, till about 2 o'clock, something like yeah, that. Yeah, 2 or 3, yeah. But it's, it's a different level, like you said. You're used to Pirelli World Challenge, seeing mm -hmm. cars go around. I mean, obviously expensive race cars, but then... They're a lot faster than what we were seeing. Oh, well, yeah. A lot of them. But again, these are not but full-on races. These, these are gentlemen racers. They're they're yeah. bumping wheels a little bit, but on the other hand, they're eight to however many million dollar cars. What stuck out for you at the races? Well, I, I remember seeing we were talking. We were standing there at the corkscrew, 
and watching the uh, Formula 5000 cars just fly around the track. And we're, you and I were just chatting. And at one point I said, you know, we're sitting here in the 1970s. You had all these 70s era F1 cars or Formula 5000 cars just tearing down the track. <laughs> some of them aren't being driven all that hard, but some of these guys really hammer on the cars. Yeah, they They're, do. They take it very, very seriously. And good on them for doing so. I yeah. love seeing that, as does everybody. It's excellent. And, and they always say, I mean, on the schedule, it is a race. And I think some of the guys definitely treat it as a race. But it, they also count it as, it's an exhibition of speed, really. It's mm-hmm. just, look at all these cars going around the track. What would it have been like in period to watch you know, Phil Hill drive the 250 GTOs around the track? Or oh, yeah. Bob Bondurant and Ken Miles and the Cobras and you know, just stuff like that. By the way, I do consider you our resident Cobra and GT40 expert <laughs> because as I'm walking up to stuff, I feel like I know a fair amount. And then Chance comes out with this obscure arcane, did you know that that car did this and belonged to this person and that has this provenance? You're amazing, man. It was it was really incredible to be around you, to see the cars that you knew had existed but you'd never see in person. Yeah. And, of course, here it is in Monterey. Awesome. Yeah, like there, there was one moment where we were sitting there at the Polestar stand talking to one of their executives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah. all of a sudden you just – where we were standing, their, their exhibit was kind of two – two or three squares right next to each other. You can see in between the, the corners, right? Yeah, right, right. So where I was standing, I was able to see between the two buildings and kind of get a glimpse of the road, and it was glass. So I saw the reflections of the cars coming down the road before I saw the cars. <laughs> oh, that's right, that's right. And you just hear the rumble of this big V8 coming down the hill. So I turn and look because it's a big V8, and you can tell it was American. And, and it happened to be... Th- one of the very, very few GT40 roadsters just driving around town. <laughs> and I was just, I'm staring and I'm trying not to be rude to the executive as he's talking. And he's like, I understand. I'm doing it too. <laughs> exactly. We're all just doing the same thing. We know we're having a conversation, but we're all just here to enjoy the cars. No kidding. All right. So we also saw Mika Hakkinen drive a 95 McLaren F1 GTR, the Le Mans oh. winning car that usually sits in the lobby of McLaren's headquarters, apparently. Oh, does, and they pulled that, it out yeah. of there, and they put it on track, stuck Mika in it, and he did demonstration laps, but he wasn't being nice or slow. No, so while a lot of the other cars were on track, we were we were smart and wearing headphones, but or uh, ear, <laughs> earplugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And But for that one, we're like, we need to experience this one in all its glory. So we both pulled off, pulled out our earplugs, and and uh, you just hear the car leaving the pits from the corkscrew. Right, and we're you, way up the hill, we're up over the, hill. the top of the hill. Yeah, we're at the other side of the track, and you can hear yeah. it coming. You can hear it go through turn one. Then you hear it go through turn two. You know where it is. And you, you can follow it around the track, and you're like, oh, With here it comes, ears. here it comes, here. There it is, and it flies down the corkscrew. Yeah. <sighs> Screaming V12, and he's just, you know, taking the race line and not being nice to the car at all. As he and should. That's what race was, car drivers are. They're paid to not be nice to the car. Yeah. That's their whole point, which I love. So that was a highlight, definitely. And then uh, what else? Uh, I, I'm looking at uh, my notes here. I, I had so much. All right. So we've got to talk about this stranger that we had lunch with on the lawn at Pebble Beach. Of course, the food was... Yeah. Expensive and tiny portion, but whatever. Who cares? When in Rome, right? You just get lunch. Mm -hmm. And so everybody's standing up on these tables, you know, the high boy kinds of tables. Everybody stands while they eat. And, uh, you know, you just got to share with strangers. You just never know who you're talking to, but whatever. 
And so I went to get lunch and, and uh, you were still standing there with him and we struck up a conversation and nicest guy. And everybody just says, oh, so, you know, what kind of cars are you into? What, what do you have? Yeah. Yeah, so I I told him he he asked me first, so I told him yeah I, I like Cobras and usually American Muscle and but I'm not really like brand specific. I'm not really genre specific either. I like Ferraris and Porsches just as much as the next guy. Sure. And sure. he's like, oh yeah, I used to have a 289 Cobra. My my dad had one growing up, and he's like, yeah, we never should have sold that car. I wish I could have it back. And uh, it's kind of interesting. Nobody really says things so, like so that. So we we had this this connection to with cobras and we start talking about those and uh then um i think you had walked up and he asked you kind of what cars you were into and you said porsches and he's asked what kind of naturally what kind of cars were um oh we we somehow got on the topic of the show i think briefly and, yeah he, uh, he had asked you know hey what do you do you know it's just yeah, kind of a and, question and you, you lead with you were telling pretty much yeah. everybody that you know we try and cater to everybody Everyone that has, you know, we understand everyone's on a budget. Absolutely. Yes, as much as we want to drive the the million dollar cars, sure, that's, we appreciate that. Not reality. It it can get tiresome, honestly. And, sometimes. But but what but you kept saying sure. to to everyone was, you know what? If you daily drive a McLaren, good on you and well done. But not all of us can do that. Uh-huh. And he goes, well, I have a McLaren. <laughs> and, I kind of walked right into that one, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Room for likes. <laughs> <laughs> it happened and, uh, to me, yeah. And it, it wasn't just any McLaren that he. This was one of his daily cars, and it was a six seven five LT. Yeah. And I then you tell. you walked off to go get your lunch. Yeah. <laughs> and then he tells me that he's got a McLaren Senna on order. Yeah. Also, not very and, many people. It's the crowd that we were in. <clears> and so you you just never know who you're going to talk to. We we never learned his name. No idea what he does. It honestly, it doesn't matter. It was just friendly lunch conversation. We were talking about cars. He told us about his racing, and he yeah. said, "Oh, I've I've tracked a radical. I used to have a radical and doing that, but I got rid of that, and I've got a Praga now." Which yep. honestly, I had never heard of, but I know you've seen these out at uh, UMC out here. No, no, I, I just you? knew what they were. I've never okay. seen one before. Okay. I don't know anything about them really, but I've I've seen them. I know what they look like, and that was about as far as that went. But. Gorgeous, fast. He was showing us in car camera. You know, he, of course, it's like you pull out baby pictures. You pull out your track footage on your phone. Yeah, here, check it out. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> and he was showing us the line through his track and everything, and it's just a friendly lunch conversation. So of course, we're just talking to people that have. Senna's on order, as you do. Yeah. And my mind was blown. <laughs> and then, you know, we're gazing around the lawn and the helicopters landing on the yacht. Yeah, the that was bay. pretty nuts. Like, you see it come in and you see it start heading towards this yacht. It's like, no way. That, that's not... I've never are, seen are that Are we before. watching this for real? And then it just starts lining itself up and <laughs> puts itself down on the back of this big giant yacht. Of course, there were Chirons and Koenigseggs and it turns your head. But I've decided I'm going to make some... I'll say controversial comments, and I know I'm going to get disagreement here, but, but with the exception of one couple you and I were actually discussing this morning, I've decided that Ferraris are designed to sit still while they just skyrocket in value. Like I said, with the exception of Ben Sloss and his wife, Christine, who actually, he's a Google executive and he's well-known and yeah, yeah. he hammers Ferraris around the racetrack. He buys a lot of them and hammers them and I say, good on you. Because it just seems like everywhere you look, there's a Ferrari show and they're just sitting and you don't see them moving. Yeah. I know they do. I'm kidding mostly. 
mostly. <laughs> Lamborghinis are for <laughs> vloggers, right? Just so you can drive around with the doors open and just impress everybody how well you figured out this life thing. <laughs> you own a Lamborghini, and I'm just like, great, fine. And then it's out at the racetrack. It's Porsches and Mustangs and everybody else racing, yeah. hammering around. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I kid, I kid, I'm joking. But it just kind of seemed like, all right, everybody kind of has their thing. And then, you know, as soon as the Koenigsegg drives by, I'm going, wow. I, <sighs> yeah. You can't help but turn your head. You can't help it. No way. I, I mean, mean, even <laughs> yeah, just you hear a little sound. You think, "Is what? What engine is that?" And by the way, you're great at this. You're great at hearing. Like, no, that doesn't really sound like an inline six. I'm thinking that's more like a, that's a straight eight. Yeah, straight yeah. eight or whatever it is. <laughs> so well done on that. But then we've got the auctions to discuss, and that was yeah. there are six auction houses, at least that I know of, that attend so this event. So many now, it's hard to keep mm. track of them all. Man, I mean. It depends. There's still some reasonable, I'll say reasonably priced cars, even though an, a uh, 1989 Porsche 944 Turbo sold for $72,000. It was a turbo. It was 944 Turbo S. Actually. Was it an S? It was okay. An S. All right. All right. So it's a bit it more had, of a rare how car. Many, you said it had, what, 9,000 like miles on it? 9,400 miles or 7,400, something like that. And, and to that, I said, who's the guy that buys a 944? And thinks, you know what? I'm not going to drive this because it's going to be worth something someday. And they're probably listening, and they're going to write to us yeah. and inform I'm us. Sorry, that they but are I'm, that person. I'm just, I just don't, <laughs> I don't understand the, the collector thing. I mean, I do, but I don't. You know? Yeah, yeah. I think if it came down to GT40s and Cobras, you'd be that's your soft spot. Yeah, that's that's your soft underbelly. I know you. Yeah. True. But like I said, I, I mean, just enjoying these cars at auction. They're perfect, of course. And then hearing everything from. Hey, that car went for way less, or the reserve is way less than we thought, and we're playing the guessing game, looking uh-huh. through the catalog. You know, okay, so name yeah, the car. Was, and what do you think the reserve is? Yeah, there was that uh, that red 1949 Fiat 750 oh. Berlin out of sport. I don't oh, know what yeah. it was about that car. I just I was in love with that thing. It's and, tiny. And Paul just kept looking at me like, really? Well, why? I'm really scoffing and kicking dirt and on then, your shoe. And then it goes up on the auction block, and it's like two hundred thousand, two ten, two twenty. No, no. And then the hammer goes down, and it didn't meet the reserve. It did not meet the reserve. And Paul's just like, "Why? You can what? buy a house for that for this little tiny car, and it looked beat up. And I didn't spend much time looking at it because why would you? Yeah. And it I mean, goes." It doesn't sell for $250,000. That's a house or a condo or a really great garage full of five cars. Well, and there were several other cars that were, you know, well into seven seven figures that did not meet reserves either. And you're oh. just like, oh my goodness. And then, of course, at the other end of that landscape is the Ferrari GTO. And that is the 1962 GTO that sold at RM Sotheby's for... Grand total all in. It was just over forty-eight million. World record setting. You've probably seen photos of this car. Yeah. I, I need to drive this car to get it. I think. I. I, I mean, granted, anybody could say that, right? Yes. Yeah. Do you want to drive this car? It's a race car. I'll it's take a, the keys. Thank you. You know, it's <laughs> it's aluminum panels, and it's going to be a lot of noise, mechanical grinding, and yeah. it's not a supercar by modern standards. But, of course, I get the history and the provenance and all that kind of stuff. And here, this car is selling for more money than I can count. $48 yeah. million? Dollars? Yeah. Who are these people? And the, the interesting thing about that car, too, that no one seems to be talking about, is in the auction catalog, the 
estimated value was forty-five to sixty million dollars. And so everybody's disappointed. Like, and oh, and didn't go for the 60. the hammer price was forty-four million dollars. So right. it didn't didn't even meet the estimated budget uh, value of the car. Then they until you, until you factor in the consignment costs yeah. and all that, fee, all those fees, because those are extra. Those aren't include. Those aren't taken out. Those are extra. Yeah, yeah. So another four million dollars. Yeah, it's it's like ten percent. Yeah. It's like, what? I it was astounding, but it's fun again to come back to. Hey, this is inspirational. It's learning about the cars mm-hmm. and just. You've never seen a car, and I, I liken it to if you're interested in a future car, a 10-year-old something, and you think, huh, maybe I could work up to that, like a thirty to $40,000 car at auction, maybe. And you've never seen one in person, but then the first impressions are, oh, I, I guess I had different impression on this maybe car. Maybe I, I don't like better. that car. Maybe yeah. I'm not into it, I, I guess. you know. And, and so just being around these cars mm-hmm. at, at every end of the price and cost spectrum is yeah. fascinating. So outside Gooding, there was a Ferrari GTO parking, and we saw David McNeil, who owns WeatherTech. He pulled up in his silver Ferrari GTO. That he recently bought for $70 million. I guess when you buy the track, so Laguna Seca has now been bought by WeatherTech. It's been renamed all the Liberty. Well, they have the advertising rights anyways. So Okay, naming so rights. advertising, naming rights, right. So they have paid for that, and it's now the WeatherTech Laguna Seca racetrack. But, man, I... <laughs> but did you notice his license tag said 250 GTO? Uh-huh. He badged his car with a license plate. Yeah. Just like everybody else. I'm thinking, really? That's as creative as you could get for that but, car? But he also made his own WeatherTech mats for it. Laser cut and everything, just like they do for a one of 39 car in the world. He's only going to sell 38 more pairs, and that's if everybody buys them. I, I can't imagine what those will cost. <laughs> There's no market. <laughs> but I'm sure he doesn't care. Yeah. Yeah, it was really astounding just being there, driving around, seeing everything. It, it's a lot of fun. Can it be overloaded? Certainly. And again, everybody, I think people take themselves way too seriously at this because some do yeah i come back to the ultimate here's my dichotomy and that is ultimately what does this really mean what what is the best of show winner at pebble beach mean values it means values it does set values and you could argue on one hand that it's really just we're just celebrating cars okay but on the other hand over here what if the people who can afford and drive and race these cars didn't share them because we can go to shows like this and get close to them and look at them and learn about them and be inspired. Like I said, yeah. And what if they didn't, what if there weren't shows like this where we could go see incredibly amazing, high priced, whatever it is and marvel at, wow, the racing history and look what you never expected that car to rise in value or, you know, Ferrari Dinos or whatever they are. I, I, I'm, I'm mixed about both. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I keep going back and forth. It is overload, and you think, wow, this is just ridiculous <laughs> playtime. What does it all mean? On the other hand, you get to go and appreciate all this stuff, yeah. and it feeds our passion, which I love. I think the, the two differences between the two are you go to the concours or you go to Quail or any of these shows, and you know, the shows are like going to an art exhibit. They're, That's good. You I like that. You look at the car. You... you there's the ones that just stand out to you, the ones that speak to you, and then you get closer and you see lines that you didn't notice before. Or you notice the paint yeah. isn't quite what you thought it was. Yeah. Or you notice the mechanical details of the suspension and where it goes. Like, 
some of the old F1 cars we were noticing, or Indy cars we were noticing, where the gas tanks were like right where your elbow is next to the steering wheel, <laughs> yeah. or you're sitting on it. This or, gas tank next to the hot oh, exhaust pipe or, isn't a problem. Or it's is right it? above the exhaust pipes, and <laughs> we'll, we'll go with that design. Sure, there's a and, there's a place on the outside of the car. We'll just put the gas tank right there. Yeah, and so but so it's cool to see all the details and just the the level of beauty behind those cars. Whereas when you go over to Laguna Seca to watch the cars being beat on and just enjoyed. literally beat on and driven and, and driven it seems hard like and the more rock chips they have the more they've gone up in value it would it's like watching a replay of your favorite World Series game or your favorite Super Bowl from thirty That's or forty years good. ago That's and just great. living living in a different era of time. I think you turned to me at one point and said, this is 1975. Yeah. With all the cars going by and you look around and take, you know, the fashion, the way people are dressed, take that out of it. But this could be 1975 right now. Yeah. With that sound filling the airs. Or older in some cases. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't see them, but there's a couple classes that are from the 1920s on track and even older than that. Yeah. Amazing. Honestly, I aspire to driving some of these cars around Laguna Seca. I mean, not only for the track history, but just to experience it, you yeah. know? And that's, I think that's what I'm coming down to more and more is experiencing the cars. And of course, we've got to go to car shows where they're parked, but that's why we want to drive cars. And that's why we encourage everyone to drive their cars and enjoy it. It's, yeah. it's at any level. I mean, and it doesn't matter if you're in a $10,000 something all the way to the, yeah. Can you enjoy yourself in a 2040? however many million dollar car or are you freaked out by everybody around you i don't know would that be stressful yeah that's or do you just thought. or do you not just thought care? this is what life is and we're driving this and enjoying ourselves without worrying about it <laughs> i guess so all right so you have before we take a break i think there's this story that you need to tell first of all about the car that you and i thought should have well we hoped should have won best of show but also, there was another one. It was a 1938 Delahaye 135M. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was called the Carlton Carriage Company Roadster, and it was from Monaco. Came all the way over and had some cute dogs all just running around on the Yeah, leather. on the back seat. They were just sitting there in the back seat, just enjoying life. And The most the, pampered dogs ever. The owner would pull one out and put the other one down and put one back and just everyone's <laughs> taking pictures of these dogs in the back of this 1938 car chance and i look at each other with our mouths hanging open and later okay. we see the owner walking around with both dogs in his arms and <laughs> it was just it was kind of cool there's a lot of absurd just behavior oh, and, and fashion yeah and, and actually that reminds me one of the cars at uh the russo and steel auction it was waiting to go up on the block while we were walking around uh what car was it? I think it was that old um, Gasser Corvette drag car. Oh, yeah. And it had right. a German Shepherd sitting in the passenger seat. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. He had his head on the back, the parcel shelf, just yeah. kind of looking around like, this is normal. I guess I'm back at a car show. Yeah. All right. So it's it's something for for your pets, too, apparently. But And, you know, we talk about your going to... pets and your to, kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we talk about going to Quail and going to the, the Concours... And those to get in for through the public, getting your tickets is just extraordinary. It's it's a lot of money. It's it is, and I it's a I lot think of money. I know you and I felt privileged just to be but, there, even as media. We felt just wow, how amazing is this? Yeah, and appreciate it, and that's why we're sharing. 
But and what I was gonna say is, you don't have to go to those to be able to enjoy yourselves because there's so many free events. You could sit there on the side of the road and just watch all the cars go by and enjoy. <laughs> we and talked about enjoy this. that. We're going all and, right. So this intersection right here, camp out right here. You'll see everything. Yeah, yeah. Car, what was it? Car, Carmel Valley Road uh-huh. and Highway One, I think it was. Yeah, something like that. Sit on that corner, and you'll just see all kinds of crazy stuff all day long. But at least it's moving, right? Yeah. I think I liked some cars better on the lawn that when they actually moved and went up to accept their class award and they drove back through the crowd. I actually liked them better, strangely. Yeah, we talked about that too, how seeing really them strange. in motion just adds a whole another level to, to coolness to a lot of these these just stunning cars. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, guys, we've got a break to take here, and uh, after that, we'll be back with some of the more uh, realistic things that we saw, yeah. some concepts. We'll be back after this. Hyundai has a brand new shopper assurance program, which is the future of car buying now. Customers are going to feel confident, respected, in control, and at ease. This shopper assurance is going to save customers time. It's going to lessen or completely eliminate haggling. It will streamline the process and reduce your worry. Hyundai is revolutionizing the car buying experience, and it consists of these four pillars. Transparent pricing. For your convenience, you can know what the car's price is. They'll give you flexible test drives, test drives that come to you. How cool is that? A streamlined purchase process. You don't have to spend the whole day at the dealer. And even a three-day worry-free exchange. Car buying made easier. It's possible with Hyundai Shopper Assurance. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for all the information. That's HyundaiUSA.com for their brand new Shopper Assurance program. Hey, guys, I think I've mentioned this before, but I actually used to host a country music station. We have a new sponsor. It's Wrangler Jeans. And I read the copy and I thought, there's only one way to do this. Deep breath. Wrangler Jeans. You ready? Everybody has a favorite pair of jeans. The pair that fits perfectly and always looks great. The pair you wear out at night. At home, on the couch, at work, wherever. No one knows this better than Wrangler. The authority on jeans. Using their expertise in comfort and durability and applying it to a new line of modern fits and styles. Wrangler jeans are made for the modern-day adventurers, the go-getters, the folks who like to keep moving, whether you ride a bike, a bronc, a skateboard, or even drive a car. Classic or modern styles, a range of fits, a price that works for everyone. We've even got vintage re-releases. Wrangler has something for everybody. Visit Wrangler.com and check out their great selections of jeans, shirts, pants, outerwear, all for men and women. Wrangler, denim made for the modern world. That was proper. Yeah. If you're looking to buy a car, you're probably familiar with terms like MSRP. You might even know what it stands for, but what does that actually mean? You know, the same goes for invoice, list price, and dealer price. It's enough to confuse anybody. All you're really looking for is a price that actually means something. Introducing True Price from True Car. Now you can know exactly what you'll pay for the car you want, including fees, accessories, everything, before you even get to the dealership. True Car dealers will show you the true price on cars like the one you want, all from the comfort of your home. And how do you know if your true price is a great price? Well, because True Car shows you what other people paid for the same car you want. And your certified dealers already know this, so they set their true price competitively so they can win your business. So when you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features aren't available in all states. I can't believe it. That Gerald is presenting the quarterly budget report with finger puppets? Look, here comes a 1.7% decrease in fixed overhead. 
Hello, everybody. No, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. Who are you? The projected increase in organic Q3 revenue. Hooray! Believe it. Geico could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Did you see the question from Bumbryshire over here on Instagram? He said, which car at the concourse did you want to take home and enjoy? And I figured uh, right now is an appropriate time to decide on the car or cars that stuck out to us the most, our favorites, whatever it is. And I told you, I know people are going to ask, so we might as well decide yep, on yep. what's our favorites. Any price category. It could be four sitting in a row from one show. It could be uh, you liked an MX-5 Miata over here. It, I, I don't care. What did you like? And I'm I'm genuinely asking, you know, what stuck out to you for any, you know, variety of reasons, whether it's power or styling, whatever that is. Uh, I think, well, I've, I've come up with kind of four choices that I remember were my takeaways more okay. than anything. Not all necessarily right. my all-time, my outright favorites or what I want to take home, but okay. uh, three of them are actually going to be kind of, uh, you know, yeah, that, that's what you would say, isn't it? Kind of cars. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm known for a few things. Todd's known for a few yeah, things. So you might as well join the, the club. And... I'll, I'll lead with the, the Trans Am era of Mustangs that we saw at the track. I do remember. You were mentioning Those... that was the class of racing you wanted to at least see yeah, of, of anything. If, if you've heard me talk about my Mustang on, on the podcast before or watched our episode about it on Velocity yet... Uh, you'll know that kind of my inspiration for my car has been vintage Trans Am Mustangs. Which I dig, and, by the way. And the exact car that I came across when I was looking at old Mustang race cars years and years ago that kind of became my inspiration or kind of sparked that thought, kind of like that light bulb hat we saw. <laughs> we saw a woman <laughs> wearing a a hat. It's like a bowler hat with a light bulb coming out of the top of it. It was off. Yeah, it she was, didn't have any ideas. It was interesting. Yeah, but uh, anyways, the the very car that that drew me to the vintage Trans Am cars was there racing, and so we we later found it in the paddock and walked around it. Took a bunch of pictures and and saw a couple of them running there while they were uh, troubleshooting some issues with the engines and whatnot. And, sure, sure. And that was that was pretty high up there for me. Just okay. seeing those cars, it kind of hit home. I remember you did come back into the pits thinking, and you were this look on your face. You you just looked satisfied, shall we say? <laughs> it was a good time, that's for sure. Uh, the another one that we saw at was actually at Concord yesterday. Was that GT40 the kind of gold one? Oh yeah, that was very unique GT40 too. I, I didn't realize it for a little bit. It was a Mark II. Um, there was a couple details I noticed from the front that weren't as like the the Mark IIs usually have scoops coming off the hood, like going over details, the top. If, yeah, if GT40s could that be I did, considered I common. Them. It didn't have the, yeah. the roof scoops that they normally have. Okay, and then we walked around the back. And we saw it actually had a compartment off to the side of a spare tire that had been shoved up in there with yeah. a little quick-release thing to pop it out so the driver could do a quick tire change at the side of the track for Le Mans racing. Can you imagine this? Drivers doing their own tire changes now. They'd get the car to the side of the road, pull off, change their own tire, and keep racing. Can you imagine this? Yeah, that used to be a thing. Yeah, the tire was stored vertically right <coughs> next... The tire was stored vertically right next to the exhaust pipes. 
which was crazy looking, and it stuck out the back of the car, which was really yeah. interesting. And then you know, changing your own tire, yeah. and then keep racing. Yeah, yeah. It actually reminds me of a story from back in the, again with the Cobras. Uh, the Cobras were racing at night at Sebring, and one of them got into a little bit of an incident. Took one of the lights out. They didn't have an extra one, so they taped a flashlight to the front of the car to to meet the rules of having two headlights. Are you kidding me? Uh huh. They 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 taped the headlight or taped the flashlight on the hood for the second headlight. <laughs> See, it's stuff like that that you know these these details. And you told me that this GT40 that we saw was actually leading the race, the '66 Le Mans race. Yeah, I, I read that before on, later the on. Other yeah. three cars actually took the first three yeah, places. Yeah, it, uh, it blew a head gasket and took itself out of the race. Unreal. Uh, that one also had that really interesting uh, intake manifold that was clear. Uh-huh. And it had said experimental engine underneath it all. So that, that was yeah. kind of a cool detail. Yeah, that made it inexpensive, too. <clears throat> um, the other two, there was we were at dinner just in Monterey the other night, and there was this Camaro that kept driving by. <laughs> he was he was doing laps, I'm sure. Yeah, I don't know he if he was, was looking he for was parking, cruising. but he was just cruising the town. It was this like 69 Pro Touring Camaro, really nice. It was red, and it had a bunch of surfboards on the roof. <laughs> That was just cool. <laughs> oh, that was cool to see. We thought the surfboards were like hiding autonomous gear, and it was just driving <laughs> around. You could, like hide all the the sensors in the surfboards or the bike rack or whatever. And uh, then the last one is actually this will probably blow your mind too. Was actually that Bentley Mulsanne WO edition that we sat in at Quail. What you dug that car? It it was it wasn't so much that I'd want one, but some of the things they thought of to do with that particular car. So W O stands for Walter Owen, the founder of Bentley. Right, right. The car is meant to celebrate his hundredth birthday. Sure. And, and sure. so what they've done is they took the original Bentley crankshaft from the very first car sliced it up into 100 pieces and they included that inside the the rear center console little art thing they had there. Yeah, they enshrined it in a decorative yeah. motif with the words, you know, and the piece of crankshaft. Yeah. A piece of metal sitting there. And that was just a really cool idea. You, yeah. You don't see stuff like that too often and that is let's let's be honest, that is a very Pebble Beach idea. It is. It's a tribute, and it's stuff like that that will sell the car. It was enormous. But, you know, then we have to have the discussion. All right, Rolls-Royce or Bentley, which which are you? Who are you? Yeah, we, we both landed on Bentley. If we- you have to make that decision, I know, I know that doesn't relate to just about any part of our lives. But we had to, you know, when you're there, you have to think, all right. And that was admittedly cool. $400,000 colon or rants. You know, we, yeah. we had many of those this weekend. That thing is <laughs> with uh, apologies to the designers at Rolls-Royce. The colon is not pretty. No. And it's, it's no. I'm sure it's well built. I'm sure it drives fine. It was nice to sit in. It was nice to sit in, but, but that's as far as I'll go. Otherwise, it's. It's not pretty. No. I'm being kind. So, okay. So what were, what were your favorites? I know you had a few too. I do have a few, and people have asked. I'll start with the foregone conclusion, the Singer Williams DLS car. That is the dynamic and lightweighting study car. The 911 reimagined by Singer that is absolutely exquisitely built. Yes, I'm in love with this car. Yeah, uh, yeah. Paul was crawling all over it. Uh-huh. I mean, I try to restrain myself. He, he with needed other cars. a bib on his shirt to keep the drool off of himself. It was, it was puddles. They had this gleaming white quartz floor that the car was displayed on at the qua- at the quail, and I thought, 
I better not mess up their floor. Yeah, they had a guy there that was constantly mopping the floor yeah. to keep it clean, too. That's probably why. It was yeah. because they saw Paul coming. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was really quite well done. But no, it was a very nice car. I, I liked what you overheard. Was it one of the singer representatives that yeah, had mentioned uh, this comment I don't know who to he was, but he about was the, the interior? Guy, yeah, he was the guy working the stand. Yeah, so Chance comes over and he tells me that, you know, the... He didn't expect the white with the mustard interior to really be set off and really work together, and yet it does. But then he said, yeah, the interior, really the concept here is man jewelry. Yes. Yeah. the entire point. And I think, all right, I, I can see that. They went kind of overboard because they got away from what I look at singers as a, you know, it should be driven and it should be a tribute to more of the racing, which means a little bit grittier in terms of the look. Maybe the nickel plating or maybe the finish is, yeah, yeah. you know, a well-refined finish. But it's, The dials on the gauges. It and was, things. you know, they went really far with the gold and the... the exposed gear linkages. Yeah. The, the gear linkages was great, but the gold and the dials was a little bit too much for me. Yeah. Otherwise, done, sold. But I will talk about the Polestar 1. And I hadn't had a chance to really look over this car thoroughly. And I mentioned it earlier about some lines being pulled out of this car. And and by the way, I have produced four videos that will come out on YouTube. And they are for the Pebble Beach Company. So, so thank you very much to the Pebble Beach Company for having us there on Media Passes to mm-hmm. be able to produce these videos. And I decided that I wanted to focus in on design. Because you've heard me talk about design. It's it's my thing. And, and of course, my background. You know, I've spent uh, you know, a career and and life pursuing design of all kinds right, and yeah. appreciating it and, and wanting that to come out more in car journalism because so many journalists talk about design as, well, it's sleek or it looks good or it looks bad, but then the subjectivity about it and why it looks good or why the production process has produced this and the, the battle between engineers and designers and why the compromise exists and all that kind of stuff. I really enjoy digging that out of a car and then finding the lines, like this P1800 line in the rear flank, that three-quarter of the Polestar 1, here's Polestar as a subsidiary. And I'll say a few things that I've said on the video, so go watch those when they come out. But they're just one take, one thought, you know, just a quick impression because the cars, we couldn't drive them. Yeah, they're static displays. They're sitting there, and I don't enjoy just hearing people talk about cars and assuming what it will drive like without knowing. That's why Todd and I drive these cars all the time. Yeah. But this car intrigued me because it's carbon fiber bonded to a steel frame and it's a hybrid and what the representative told me was this was really interesting and he said their messaging with Polestar has gotten a bit diluted or muddied or lost on people because we've mentioned subscriptions so much and everybody assumes Polestars are all subscription based and he said this car you can buy for $155,000 is that expensive yes it's very yeah it's really <laughs> expensive on the other hand compared to a lot of cars there and you know i think about what about these cars used in a few years or you know something like that and so i looked at the Polestar 1 as a a very personal item much like jewelry much like yeah. watches for men which are why i'm so into them because what else do we have yeah, we've yeah. got watches and i mean you can do rings and bracelets and but i i think personally for me that's just too much and yeah they're that's why i like watches so much it's a, a singular expression of who you are yeah the the Polestar it had a lot more details that really 
you don't see on the surface. They came to life, like you said, artwork. There's the first read, the yeah. second read, the tertiary read. As you dig into the painting, you get closer and closer. Same thing with the Polestar 1, and you appreciate the details. I had no idea it was carbon fiber bodied. No. And another example that, me. that we both think thought was really, really cool and clever was um, the, the floating center console, uh, roof console. Yeah. That had yeah. so the car's got a glass roof and it's got this floating center roof console that uh the mirror comes down off of. Right. But on the top of it, it's got the, the Polestar four cross logo uh-huh. that is representative of the Polestar, North Star. And it's got a light on it that reflects up onto the the glass roof. Right. Signifying always following the North Star. Always thinking forward. I like and, that you and I are pulling details out like that. And that was just a brilliant, brilliant idea. And it fits their market. It fits their name and their brand. Yeah. And, and it's not readily evident. We had to be No, we in, had to be told and showed that. Yeah. We didn't notice it at first. But for that kind of thing, that means it's very personal. Not everybody notices this. It's for you to enjoy and notice. Yeah. Much like a watch brand that nobody knows about and you... You just like looking at it. I didn't buy it to be a gold-encrusted Rolex with diamonds and all this stuff. It's it's not for other people to look at. It's just for me. Right. That's why I appreciated this car so much. What else? I really, really fell in love with the E-Type. And mm, yeah. it's Jaguar reintroducing the E-Type as a Concept Zero. That's the name of the E-Type Concept Zero. And it was a fully electric Jaguar E-Type. It's a 40 kilohertz system in there and as far as uh as far as i can tell it's the all-electric i-pace running gear that has also been optimized to meet the original balance and weight of that e-type so they're not just loading an electric drivetrain into the e-type and then wow well the car's dynamics have entirely changed they actually paid attention to the the original car and loaded it and made it so yeah, they, the dynamics will be the same as the original. Yeah, they said they actually detuned the electrics on this car. They toned them down so that it would meet similar specs to the original car. Okay, so here it is. 40 kilowatt hour battery, and it fits perfectly where the engine was. Mm-hmm. And I had to make the joke to you, you know, the, a bit of irony with, you know, you've heard us talk about the Lucas Electrics yeah. and how they were so problematic in those Jaguars. Yeah, yeah. Here is the electric Jaguar, and I thought, all right, where, where's the Lucas sign? Where, where is it? There's a little bit of irony in there. Well, but. And, and next door was the uh, there was a European company that was doing uh, Corvette electric swaps, oh, yeah. EV swaps. Yeah. So they, you take so oh what, what, what we kept joking around was you take the the LS or the LT4 out of the Corvette and put that in your Tesla and you put the Tesla drivetrain into your Corvette and <laughs> and you get to drive in the carpool lane with your V8 powered Tesla. Yeah. <laughs> with the stickers. Anyways. No. Yeah. This this Jaguar. Jaguar I, I thought it was brilliant. Because what other car company gets to go backwards and take their E-Type and electrify the drivetrain? And I think it's appropriate for the motion and shape of the car. Yeah, and it, it's, it's brilliant. It wasn't a new car. They took an existing car Correct. and converted it. Correct. It wasn't that they built it from the ground up. They converted somebody's fact, old car from the 60s. And Just brilliant. And they also told us that you know it's really easy to put the original motor right back into it. They made it so it wasn't a one-way conversion. Right. Which is astounding, the fact that they figured out how to do that. They made it still balanced. And now this beautiful, silent, whispering shape 
Now it's just clean driving. Yeah. I loved that concept. And they did a, a available updated dash, so it's more modern with the touch screens and everything else yep. that you could do or you could use the, your original Smith gauges. Or st- I think it's brilliant. Honestly, I think it was wonderful. So then my final car was actually the car that you and I both think should have won, and that was the 1948, the Talbot Lago. It yeah. was brought over from the Czech Republic. It was restored by a guy, I think, and his friends and family. But, boy, did they know what they were doing. Yeah, we actually talked to him for a little bit. There yeah. For a minute, and he was just showing us how the lines on the car flowed, and you could tell he had a lot of passion for that thing and put oh, a lot man. of effort and energy into it. That car is posted on our Instagram feed for you to see. It's this dark blue. It's a bit of a sophisticated neutral blue, mm-hmm. but just worked for the car. It was so beautiful. Between that and that Cadillac, the other yeah. one that we thought should have won. Yeah, it was a 36 Hartman bodied Cadillac Cabriolet, I think is what it was. It was actually, Coachwork was done in Switzerland and the first owner drove it around Switzerland, but it's this enormous, yeah. huge fender. It, it looks like a Delahaye, honestly. Yeah, it, looks and, fr- it looks like French Coachwork. And it was kind of an off-white color. It had some gray, stripey things on the fenders. Yeah. And watching it move around, it looked like a cloud floating around on the ground. Because, of course, you couldn't hear it, which was astounding. All right, so we've got to jump into specific cars that stuck out to you that really... I I talked a lot about these concepts, and I want to talk about a few more here, but other cars that stuck out to you is, besides all the Lamborghinis driving around with their doors up and, you know, blipping the throttle and all that kind of stuff, what were the things that stuck out to you that you think, okay, this is why people come to this show, because it relates? There was actually one that it was right next to the Singer booth, actually, Lexus. There was that Interesting. that blue Lexus UX250H. Oh, that's right. It, uh, it, it was a crossover, but I don't know what all had been done to it. It, looked, it had some aftermarket wheels. It and had some, Voss some and wheels on it. On it but, uh, yeah. it, it's relatively affordable. I, I haven't, I'll be honest, I haven't looked at any of the stats for it. I just, I really liked the way it looked. Yeah, and, they uh, did well. It had a, a road racing bike and, on the roof. And you had actually right. said it's it's it looked like they were trying to make it like a hot hatch, but it was a CUV. I mean, so uh, I I had the thought just a little yeah. bit ago that we'll um, we'll start calling them the HUV, the hot hatch utility vehicle. <laughs> okay, we'll see if that catches on. <laughs> that won't go anywhere, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. I'm trying to be delicate. <laughs> No, yeah, I agree with that one. I mean, it just looked to my eye sort of like, Lexus does a hot hatch because the CUV segment is so popular. They're yeah. in on it, but they need to drop that thing and make it handle well. Yeah, and well. it looked great. It did. It, it looked did. really great. It seems like somebody was paying attention and thought, you know what, let's debut that. And it's, you know, relatively affordable, but hey, used. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Done. All right, well, I was looking actually at uh, BMW Z4. Mm-hmm. And that car is has been re- reintroduced. It was actually debuted in a lot of places all over town at various events. But we saw it at the Quail at the BMW Pavilion. And I had some concerns from far away. It looked a little bit Mercedes SL-ish. Kind of busy. Just Well, not from a busy standpoint, but from a just kind of an overweight convertible catering to a cruising okay. crowd. Yeah. And I yeah. thought... I hope that's not what it drives like. I hope because BMW, you know, they've got, you know, the handling dialed theoretically and they've got more of a sporting nature. Come on, let's let's pull that into the other camp away from the cruise mobile SL. Mercedes yeah, yeah. has that covered. They're fine, but they're not what we're looking for as far as dynamics. And BMW has that. I wish for a coupe. I hope that's coming. 
I hope there's an it is. M. It's a Toyota version. Supra. <laughs> that's, <laughs> no, that's true. That's very true. I, I, It'll look very different, though. I, I, I do like the styling of the, the new Z4. I, think I it do. Great. I mean, obviously evolutionary, but isn't any German car, any, any BMW, they have to push it, but they can't push it too far, so it's unrelatable. If you took the badges off, do you find BMW lines on it? Do you find relatability on that car? I thought from certain angles you do, but they still have to introduce and push forward. Here's new yeah. BMW themes. The interior actually was a surprise. It, it was well done. It looked mm-hmm. to be great. And I like the styling. I think it was well executed, of course. But, you know, like I said, hopefully it's not being pushed towards the heavier cruising GT kind of spectrum, but yeah. pulled back. And so for that reason, I do like that the Supra is, you know, sharing some things about it. Yeah, I think the Supra will look very different. We'll, so we'll see what that ends up being. Man. But I but, just, uh, yeah, it's yeah. I, th- be I hot. thought the the Z4. I know there's a lot of polarizing opinions on it. Some people say it looks like a Kia or you know other cars. Yeesh. Well, Kias and, look good. Some Kias look great. It's it's the nose that I think that's really getting people. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I like I said, if uh, if BMW comes through and it comes as a wow, this is really a driver's car, an yeah. enthusiast car, then. Some things can be and forgiven, hope, but hopefully, we'll see. you know, with as uh, as loved as the '86 platform was, the Toyota and Subaru marriage there for the for the '86 chassis, maybe the BMW and Toyota marriage for this car will be you know spot on. Maybe, Let's hope. Maybe it won't. Maybe Let's it won't, hope. But history has a way of dealing with <laughs> these things. <laughs> Even though there were some successful, I will say Ford and Mazda had some successful platform sharing. They did a lot for the Mazda 626 and the Ford Probe. I actually went to the Auto Alliance factory back when those were being produced. Mazda yeah. Ford, Mazda Ford. I thought, okay, fine. There's some successful things like that in the past. Uh, anything else that stuck out to you? Um, I think one of the surprises that we both had was the uh, the Lamborghini SUV. Which, caveat, caveat, this is an expensive car. Yes, but I don't, and I, I remember you guys talking about it when it first came out. And we did. You kind of railed yeah. on it a bit, like, why? What's the point? And it's ugly, and it's crazy, and just flamboyant it's and ridiculous. There, but then yeah. we saw him in person, and it's like, that looks really cool. <laughs> it actually did, I admit. And very Audi-like on the interior, as you would probably expect. But with some Lamborghini flavor, you know, some, why is the switches built, you know, why are they looking, yeah, looking and performing like this? It's got some like Italian this? weirdness to it. <laughs> so, uh, okay, all I, right. And with that in mind, um, I, I want to make a correction to just about every automotive journalist out there right now. Okay. Everyone keeps calling it the Urus. Okay. And you go watch the press conferences and watch the Lamborghini executives t- say the word. It's Urus. Okay. Not Urus. It's Urus. You kind of roll. I can't roll my R's very well, but you roll the R a little bit. All right. So clearly everybody has work to do to yeah. get this name, but you know people are going to butcher it. Oh, yeah. It's coming. Yep. I loved what Infinity was doing. This sounds weird because Infinity hasn't been necessarily known by their cars to be, wow, enthusiast brand. But keep in mind, they have Nissan. All the skylines backing them up as enthusiast cars to lean on and say, hey, we've got this enthusiast brand over here. They know how to build cars. They know how to build fantastic driving, driver's enthusiast cars. But the Infinity Prototype 10 debuted at the show, and what was notable and what stuck out to me was for two years in a row now, Infinity has brought 
two concept cars that are single seaters. And both look like vintage racers. Yeah, the first one, the Prototype 9 from last year, looked very retro. And I think they had to get that out of their system. Kind of, let's get this done. And they had yeah. their own take on it. It's got some Mercedes Silver Arrow kinds of lines and look to it from mm-hmm. the, the 30s race cars. But this year was very modern. And it's it's talking about the design language of Infinity moving forward. And then, of course, Infinity announcing we're going for an all-electric platform and drivetrain. And I thought, okay, now this is interesting. Of course, it's a concept car. That doesn't mean they're bringing out single-seat fun cars. Yeah, yeah. That's not what I'm saying. But the, the surface development, I think they're really now differentiating themselves better. And then if they really bring out some enthusiast cars, we might not be able to ignore them too much longer. And kind of back back to what you said earlier about uh, you know the fashion industry and how things trickle down. These kinds of crazy out-there concept cars, they usually have some... A lot of the the details get taken and pulled into their their current their everyday cars. Yeah, that's not what quite they do. to the same, not quite as outrageous and wild looking, but no. they're they're a little more toned down. But you can still trace it back and go, oh yeah, that's it's it's here's the concept. Now let's refine that so that we can actually build it properly, and you know manufacture it at a high scale, high level. Yeah, right. And, Right. Uh, there was also the Audi PB18 e-tron, which was a shooting brake concept. As a matter of fact, I got to see this back in November in VR in their design studio yeah. when I was still consulting and helping them with stuff and setting up their VR presentation. And it was for Mark Lista, their executive. And so I actually ran into him at Pebble Beach and it was fun to say, hey, you know, saw this back in November, here it is. And he said, yeah, here it is. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. This car is really incredible because it's a shooting brake, but the entire concept is the cockpit slides from side to side. So it will move over and slide electrically. It's this pod that you sit down in and you hop in and then it will slide back to the center or you can slide it probably for right or left, you know, whatever you want. But if it's center driving, who cares? Yeah. But the concept, I don't know that anybody's really executed something. I mean, there have been center driving cars, center seat positions, but this was really notable. And they said they've been getting a ton of press. They had not expected it, to be honest. And the thing about Audi is all their lines converge to a point ever so slightly. Yeah. Whereas you might see the broad surfaces, the broad themes. They might have some parallel lines to them, but every other shape, the window shapes, they're actually converging, and that's where Audi is going with this. So it's this very low shooting brake concept that is, of course, the language we're going to see on future Audis. Yeah. The the styling is a little off for me. I mean, I like a lot of it, but okay. the right. the car as a whole, I, I really like the idea. I'm just, I'm just not 100% sold on on the way it looks yet. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. But I actually wanted to ask you, since you saw it in VR, and now that you've seen it in person, and since you had that with, with your, your role at Autodesk in the past, how you did a lot of VR for manufacturers, mm-hmm. how that has helped not only the designers kind of see what they're designing, but how that how does that compare to the same thing in reality? Oh, well, of course, reality is always the ultimate goal. That's why show yeah. cars will always be built. But it's sped up the process so much because designers are staring down the line of a car for 30 minutes, you know, looking at the reflections, looking at everything. But now if you see the data in full scale, you instantly feel differently about it. 
feel okay my relationship to his to it has changed just like a relationship to the object i'm three feet away from something and my relationship to them has a a feeling to that and you get that same feeling in vr whoa that's lower than i thought well when you sit down in sit on the seating buck my feet are off to the side that's i didn't expect that i didn't yeah, you know, sure. see that on the computer screen but seeing that in in vr was exactly like yeah which was crazy to feel then see it in reality and went whoa i've seen this before I, why do i know this car oh my gosh here it is the paint the colors are different the finishes sure. you know and the seating concept was not in that vr it wasn't finished they were just doing the exterior styling uh overview design review of that car they hadn't really gotten into the interior yet but that's the whole point of the car sure yeah i thought wow it it really does work and so yeah seeing it in full scale helps the design process and either validates or you you go back and think all right we've got more work to do and that's yeah. what i think so many car companies aren't doing or i guess not as much you know you think all right has anybody stood back from this car and said what don't i like about it or this car is ugly, guys. Yeah. Uh, we need to do something. Yeah, yeah. And then I think the last manufacturer that stuck out for me was Byton, mm -hmm. which is a Chinese car company. First time a Chinese car company has ever exhibited at Pebble Beach at the Concours. They're all electric. The entire instrument panel is a long screen. They call it, it the gigantic. They call it a shared experience display, SED contrived. You know, okay, so. <laughs> Whatever, but it works. It's this entire screen, and it is an autonomous car, but they look at it as, as a smart device, as data power versus horsepower. And so yeah. they're bringing an entirely different mindset about this is your living and working environment. So we had a chance to talk to those guys. There will be a short video on that as well. I really liked it because I dug in. and after, We both really dug in. Yeah, we did. We did. And I thought, all right. Is this another, you know, there's a lot of car company startups out there. Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of autonomous cars coming. What will differentiate it? And why do I look forward to driving this car, even though it's autonomous? Yeah, it's it's kind of along the same, you know, we've got Tesla out now. You've got Lucid. You've got Faraday coming. And then you got Byton, and it's just like, oh, another one. It, it's it starting to get like old. But, but, then you start, but then you start really digging into their company and who they are and listening to them talk about what they're doing and the passion that these guys had for what they were doing. Yeah. The and designer is Benoit Jacob and he comes from Art Center as well. And he is credited with the I3 and the I8 BMWs. Yeah. Guy's an enthusiast. Mm -hmm. And then their chief engineer spent time as the chief engineer for Renault Sport. And it was under his leadership that the new Alpine A110 has been developed. The Cayman yeah. competitor. Yeah. So these guys, they know what they're doing. They do. And it, it made me feel a lot better as far as the company stacking talent and stacking, I, I guess, racing history and driving enthusiasm and approaching here's the future. And then, you know, you've got this sort of benchmark to fall back on as you know, yeah. here's who we are. But they're putting all their energy into, you know, what's next. And for that reason, I thought it was well done. Yeah. Yeah. Remains to be seen. We've got to drive it, of course. Of course. But, yeah, it was great to develop a great relationship with the Byton folks and quite a mix. Like I said, I've got to come in with an open mind. I love cars. We love cars. Yes, we have our favorites, but I, I've got to come in with an open mind and think because you just never know who's behind what car. You never know. Yeah, and, th and that is exactly what 
the whole Pebble Beach Monterey Car Week is all about. You got on the one hand, you got companies like Byton showing off the latest and greatest tech yeah. and all the things and what's coming in the future. Things that aren't in production. And then you go yet. on the other side of the building and you got cars that are 100 years old and <laughs> and what was the latest and greatest tech 100 years ago and pushing the edge. That's a great and, point. You're looking at tech was, from prior years going, yeah. wow, that's just so simple. Why don't I just use a bolt like that? Huh? Yeah, or seeing their, their creative ways to, to make the steering linkages work or yeah, whatever yeah. it was. It's continually and, inspiring to me. Mm-hmm. And I, for that reason, I highly recommend going. If you can squeeze it in your schedule somehow, sometime. I mean, it's it's... A big thing, yeah. honestly. It's start looking for your hotel now for it's next not year. Expensive, it is not, but I think ultimately worth it to educate yourself and yeah. be next to these beautiful things. You know, yeah. it's less to me about you know the money behind it and all that stuff, but it's just hey, I get to be next to this cool thing. Yeah, and if you spend most of the awesome. week there, you're, you'll come back with your your head exploded and your brain being mush and just wow with with how much stuff you see. <laughs> Exactly. Well, there's so much more we could talk about, but we'll leave it there for now. Guys, thank you for following along. Chance is with me again towards uh, later in the week. Uh, mm-hmm. We are back to regularly scheduled car debates. We've got a lot of, uh, actually, two great debates coming up. Yeah. Got a guy who's going to be in a, he comes from a Model A truck ownership. He's still got it. He's up in Alaska. So we've yeah, got a debate cool. a car for him. Very cool. So if you've got your own debate, write to us, Everyday Driver TV at gmail.com or on the website everydaydriver.com and from there you can find out every event that's coming the Utah meetup you can find out about the mini raffle and you can see that uh, that episodes from season 3 are populating to Amazon Prime so you can get those season 1 and 2 are already available Amazon Prime and Vimeo for international viewers and guys thank you so much for your questions we really appreciate it we'll be back in uh, just a few days Chance will be back with me and we'll we'll be here we'll debate some cars thank you man for being on looking forward to next time cheers everyone Let me tell you about Pete, who loved hockey and always wanted to play in the NHL. Pete played since he was three and begged his mom to let him stay on the ice. Why, some nights he even slept in his hockey skates. Pete practiced and practiced until one day. When he was 47, Pete realized he just wasn't that good. So he threw his skates in the trash. But then he heard how Geico, proud partner of the NHL, could save him money on car insurance. So he switched and saved a bunch. So it all worked out. ADT can design and install a smart home just for you, backed by 24-7 protection. A new smart home at your service, customized for your lifestyle. Set up custom automations unique to your home to automatically do the things like lock the doors or set the thermostat when you leave. Even close your garage door from virtually anywhere. ADT will set up your home with multiple smart home devices and security features like indoor and outdoor cameras, locks, lights, and garage door control, even video doorbells. Visit ADT.com slash podcasts to learn more about how ADT can design and install a secure smart home just for you.